0: So, Welcome back to Leaders of Consulting, the show that brings you interviews with experts in the trenches at the forefront of consulting, sharing their own perspectives, tips, and resources they picked up along the way for your benefit. On this episode, we're joined by Patty Franco, who is a highly skilled executive coach and corporate trainer with over 25 years of experience in coaching, training, and talent development. She's got wealth of experience and career highlights, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into. But first off, I just wanted to say thank you, Patty, for coming on the show.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Jonathan.
0: Yeah, great to have you on. I suppose we should shout out one of our previous guests, Lana, for introducing us. So thanks, Lana, if you're listening as well. Uh, but, Patty, let's start off with, as we usually do, with a unique approach, tip trawler strategy that other people in consulting or coaching should really know about. Maybe they don't.
1: Sure. Well, for me, one of the game changers in my coaching practice, which is the primary service offering, I do some corporate training as well, but I 80% of my work is working one-on-one with people in a coaching capacity. And when I got my coaching certification, my professional coaching certification, it was all focused on energy leadership. And that was something that was new for me through that program, but has really served me well in servicing my clients, which is understanding how you're being. So really helping clients to understand not the doing because people often say oh can you work with me to help me be more effective or be more organized or get a promotion and very much people's brains are usually centered around activity and the doing of things rather than how are you being how are you showing up as a leader how are you communicating from a place of authenticity or positivity so that's something that is the the foundation of my coaching practice so i have assessment tools that i use the energy leadership assessment, as well as a secondary assessment, which I discovered about a year ago, the positive intelligence assessment. And that has also been a game changer because it helps people understand how they self-sabotage. There's 10 different ways that we all self-sabotage at any given moment. And we it's like 10 different personalities for your inner critic, basically. And so that's the first thing I always offer to clients. So I find that it, it helps people take a, a look in the mirror and see What's getting in their way the most, so you can really start the coaching dialogue in that place to make a difference for them right away. So that's something that I I find to be helpful is those two assessments, the energy leadership assessment and positive intelligence assessment.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting one. Actually, I think this is something that my wife brought to my attention the other day. She was describing how when she goes into work, oftentimes, depending on the mood of her boss, really affects the way her day is going to be she finds she sometimes finds that quite tricky to deal with i was thinking to myself you know uh, managing a a small team i can see how that plays out you know myself you know sometimes the energy that i bring or the mood i'm in depends on how well the day is going to go for everybody everybody else uh so being aware of that is really important i think just like you say
1: well, being aware of, of that dynamic so that your team, your staff, or you know, whenever there's direct reports reporting into a boss that may or may not be in a good mood, one the ideal state is to be able to have a great day regardless of someone else's mood or what's triggering them at the moment. So it's learning how to navigate difficult people, difficult situations so that it doesn't impact you. And that takes understanding how you get triggered by their energy. So, you know, understanding, like, do you get into judgment mode where you're like, oh, that person's in a bad mood and now I'm in a bad mood, you know, or are you in an avoider? You know, do you say, oh, well, I'm not going to talk to him today because he's not in a great mood, but you really need to get work done. So how do you understand how you're affected and then intentionally shift your strategy and your way of being so that you can still have a peaceful, smooth day, regardless of other people's moods and energies?
0: yeah so obviously various things that are very useful to keep in mind when interacting with clients you know on a daily basis do you have any sort of um, ways of resetting i think you you mentioned you know just before our call you mentioned that you go through a couple of practices yourself in the morning you you kind of have are there any particular routines that you, you find particularly effective for other people to to follow through on as well
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm also big on habit formation. So that that's a, yet another topic. But one of the newer habits in the last 12 months that I've adapted is while I'm brushing my teeth in the morning, I listen to a two-minute mindfulness exercise on my phone, on my app. And that helps me set an intention for the day so that I'm thinking about how my energy comes across to other people. So that, because I tend to be cranky in the morning, just to be totally authentic so how i want to interact with my family versus how i might interact with them if i don't do mindfulness energy and you know activity in the morning so i i do 2 minutes so it's just 2 minutes it's very it's hard to justify skipping over a 2 minute activity so i do that while i'm brushing my teeth and then i do some stretches all in the bathroom before i even leave the bathroom <laughs> and then i get dressed Start my day, um, and when the kids go off to school, as I did this morning, I may do 20 minutes of exercise. And I really try to keep it short, short um, segments so that I don't get overwhelmed or overtired. And then midday, I'll do another 10 minute break of movement. And then at, at the end of the day, depending on if I have to pick people up and do all kinds of parental things, I may do another 10 minutes. But as a staple routine, at the end of the day, when I lay down to go to sleep, I listen to a 10 minute um, meditation on my app, my Calm app, and that really helps me go into sleep and exit the thinking process, so that you can actually have a really good sleep. So I'm a very deep sleeper. My husband gets jealous and he wishes he could go into the deep. And we do the same apps, but I, I think he just needs different activities. So he, you know, he may need to read and you know maybe stretch for longer. But those are some of my staples to clear my energy. And then in the middle of the day. In between meetings and this is one of the things i teach my clients to do those two-minute mindfulness activities in between their meetings because what i teach especially a lot of executives i work with they tend to go back to back to back with their meetings so you know 9 to 10 10 to 11 11 to 12 and they're bringing their stress and energy from one meeting to the next meeting and not their most creative brain their most supportive energy so i teach them to do things like just rubbing your hands together. For 10, 20 seconds, and then just sitting back in the chair. You don't need music. You don't need an app of any kind, but just listening to the sounds in your house, focusing on your breath, focusing on your feet on the floor. And two minutes go by very quickly. And that just kind of helps you clear your energy, clear your head, get into your body and get out of your mind so that you can bring your best energy to the next situation. That is definitely a game changer for those who take that on.
0: Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I think sometimes, you know, we all know that reflection is helpful and and sometimes going on walks and so whatever, but it doesn't need to be like a a 20 minute walk outside. It can, if you're pressed for time and you have those back to backs, there's still some space that you can create there. I really like that.
1: Absolutely. And making it fun. You know, sometimes I'll get a cup of tea because everyone takes bio breaks. So I tell my clients, when you get up to take your bio break, get a glass of water and focus on the taste of the water. Really focus on the process of drinking the water. So if you really get into your body with anything, it could be smelling your coffee, your tea, you know, if you have any sort of scented oil and it's available, you know, just having that for 30 seconds even will just lift your mood and help you clear your head.
0: Yeah. I, I love that idea of, uh, you know, multitasking in a sense whilst, or killing two birds with one stone because... You need to brush your teeth for two minutes, but it's funny, you know, those two minutes, they go really slowly when you're just, you're not really doing anything else. And you're like, oh, this is kind of boring, but you compare it with something like that. I, I was also, also uh, laughing to myself because I, I always find it funny how my wife, she does, she likes to do squats while she's brushing her teeth as well. So I'm thinking, ah, oh, you could do squats and you could do the meditation and you could brush your teeth. What else could you do? Could you be like a one man bat, you know? <laughs>
1: well i wouldn't take on too many tasks (laughs) otherwise you won't get the full benefit but i hear you that is at least two things yeah toothbrushing is so mundane that if you can uh turn it into something that rejuvenates you or sets you up for the day why not
0: Mm, absolutely yeah
1: so patty i'd love
0: to also um, hear a little bit about your you know what you think of being the most influential or impactful um, influences on you as you've built your your practice over time. uh, Are there any people or any books or resources or things that you found particularly helpful or relevant to you as as you went about building your practice?
1: Yes, in fact I have I have a shelf behind me with some of my favorite books, but I thought I I would just refer to them here. So I do work with a lot of women but I also coach men as well. Um, And there's two books that I, I recommend One is geared towards men um, in helping them manage their careers, and the other one is more geared towards women, and they're by the same author. So Marshall Goldsmith is an author. He's a guru in the leadership development space, and he has a book that he co-wrote with um, Sally Hagelson, and I can drop these in the chat later or send them to you if that's helpful, but the the one for women is called How Women Rise and it's it's all about the 10 the 12 habits sorry the 12 habits that tend to hold women back from their next career meaning promotion and it's things like not taking credit for their contributions or expecting others to spontaneously notice your effort without you articulating all the effort you've put into things things like that, or leveraging your relationships in the same way that men leverage them, and which is why a lot of them have moved you know, up the corporate ladder, so to speak, and do so with greater ease of flow. Granted, there's all kinds of other dynamics that get involved in this, but for simplicity purposes, that book is great because it helps women out of the 12 habits to identify at least their top two that they or three that they tend to struggle with, and then it provides a great framework for coaching. So I usually have them read it. If they're going for promotion or looking to change companies or they're at that pivot point in their career, I have them read that book in the beginning of our coaching relationship. And then we talk through it and we co- incorporate it into the coaching dialogue. So that's been a game changer for a lot of my clients, as well as the one for men is What Got You Here Won't Get You There is the name of the title of that book, also by Marshall Goldsmith. It's differently focused, but similarly focused um, specifically for men on how all the things that were key key to their success up to this point, let's say middle management level positions, are not going to get them to the C-suite. And what they have to focus on shifting behaviorally so that they can continue to grow in their career, if that's what their career path is, their, their wish. So those two books are great. They have key concepts and pitfalls and, again, really helps them identify which ones resonate most for them. So that's one. And then my other favorite one, as I mentioned, is the Positive Intelligence Assessment is all based on the work of Shirzad Shemain, and that's the Positive Intelligence book. And it's all about the brain science of positive thinking and shifting your negative thoughts and emotions to more positive ones so that you get the outcomes that matter to you and that's an oversimplification it's a whole framework and model but essentially the the framework is that if you focus on mindfulness essentially you know being more and more self-aware so a lot of people think oh you know i've been working on myself for years and i've taken courses and i've read books and i'm very self-aware there's always another level of self-awareness there's always a blind spot or several blind spots that we have and some of them are just basic things like I tend to talk too long, or I tend to interrupt people, or when I say this word, it triggers someone in this way. And and if no one ever tells you that, you wouldn't know. So it's opening up your self-awareness so that you can manage you better. So it's self-management, self-regulation, which is an emotional intelligence skill, and so that you can navigate other people's energy more effectively, like the example of the cranky boss and people needing to avoid the cranky boss because they're in a negative mindset. But if that's not necessarily true, you can have a wonderful, amazing, very satisfying, gratifying day, despite whatever energy other people are giving off. So it's the whole framework of self-regulation. How do you take those two minutes, get yourself cleared multiple times a day throughout your day? And how do you choose your response? understanding what your sabotage tendencies are. So very powerful. So I, I don't start any coaching engagement without having my clients do the positive, uh, sorry, the saboteur assessment first, which is part of that framework. And that really helps me go right into what's the core thing holding them back in their own interpersonal dynamics.
0: Yeah, really interesting. Um, and I'm curious, you know, so you mentioned those those two books, one is more applicable for men and one is applicable for, for women. Do you see when you're, you're dealing with different types of clients that men and women have different sets of challenges or are there certain patterns that you see that you're like, Oh, this is something that keeps on coming up for women in the workplace or men in the workplace.
1: There definitely are trends, like things like imposter syndrome, which I'm sure you're you're very familiar with. And a lot of coaches do coach on that. And it tends to be more prevalent as a a symptom or an issue with more women than men. Although I do also have clients that are male that have bits and pieces of imposter syndrome. And I have a whole theory on why that, you know, about imposter syndrome that I I think part of that is just that I, I think... Culturally, we've conditioned women to think they're trying to be something they're not, which kind of assumes that they shouldn't be that. So it's 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 kind of tricky. But so working with, but that tends to really affect women more. Um, and then for men, one of the common things that I see is their sometimes tendency to over rationalize. And be, especially in the space that I coach a lot of financial folks, insurance folks in more traditional industries, they tend to be very analytical, very rational, and struggle to elevate their emotional intelligence skills and take it to the next level. So I coach them on being more well rounded as a leader and as a human so that they can leverage and grow their emotional intelligence tone down the rational analytical, not because it's not appropriate or useful, but because if you're overusing one strength, you're missing opportunities. So I have a client who hired me exactly just for that. He's an investment banker. And he's he actually came to me so authentically and said, I've been told, especially by my wife, <laughs> that I have a lot of blind spots. And it's all in the emotional intelligence space. And he's like, I want to make partner in my firm. And I think this will be it will be important for me to round out my my skills if in this area. So we've been on this journey for several months, you know, actually past a year at this point. And we've really been working on helping him hear what's not being said, interpret body language and nonverbal cues more effectively, both from clients and staff, and use more of a coach approach, asking thought-provoking questions, especially when he's mentoring his junior staff instead of telling them, do it this way for this reason, for these, you know, with this research and these analytics. So having a more, let me help you think more strategically, that kind of approach rather than let me spoon feed you or or direct you. And then they don't, it takes them a lot longer to learn that way. So he's, he's finally reached a point where he has really seen a permanent shift in his style of leadership. And it's a lot of people have noticed and they've complimented him and it's really uh, serving him much better. And he's just less stressed because he used to complain about how time consuming it was to be coaching and mentoring all these junior staff members in his firm. But it was because he was overdoing it. He was micromanaging, you know, to an extent, not micromanaging, but micro teaching, if that makes any sense, you know, like trying to explain every nuance of everything and of course correcting mistakes rather than helping them think it through on the front end so that there's just less time involved in the execution.
0: Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. It sounds like, uh, in a sense, you're, you're so sort of helping you're, you're coaching people on how to coach at the same time, right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. My, my biggest reward is to see my clients not need me and yeah. you know as a, as their coach eventually and also take what they've learned from our interactions and my coaching with them and apply it with their team or with their kids if they're parents you know at home um and in different situations that to me is the biggest uh reward
0: yeah it's interesting i think there's there's so much around soft skills as well that's so critical in in work environments like i i find with team members like Helping them apply sort of critical thinking uh, and also taking initiative are, are things that can be quite tricky to uh, to foster. Um, you know, w- without that, I mean, they're just really tricky kind of soft skills to uh, to really kind of foster. Basically, yeah,
1: without. they are. They are absolutely. And the one that um, I know, one of the questions you had for me to think through, and so that I don't forget to mention it later. One of the areas that's sort of my sweet spot that people come to me for coaching on are difficult conversations. So giving feedback that's very sensitive, whether it's like feedback to your boss or feedback to a low performer who you really want them to succeed, but they're just not, you know, they're not in a safe place right now. They're kind of, you know, up for grabs. And giving constructive feedback that will hopefully change the relationship and, and the course of you know, action going forward. And so I, I most recently had a client who needed to give the tough feedback to his his boss because his boss was um, showing up in a very passive aggressive way and interacting with him that way in some team meetings. And it was creating a lot of tension and dissension and people, his peers were coming up to him and sidebarring like, what's going on? Why is so so throwing you under the bus that way. And, you know, it was was just creating a lot of lack of productivity, you know, focus on the, the, the conflict rather than what they were there to do. So we had a couple of coaching sessions and I helped him craft a dialogue that was very supportive, very disarming, and, but also very direct in delivering exactly what he needed him to hear, the impact it was, it was having on him and what he wanted to see differently moving forward, but in a way that didn't sound like he was reprimanding him, of course. So that conversation went really well. And it was, they've actually had an immediate positive shift in their dynamics because he actually said to him, I really appreciate you giving me this honest feedback. I don't think anyone else would have done that. And, you know, I know I need to work on this. It is definitely, it's always been an area of weakness. Please call me on it if I do it again, you know, so it was just, and he was so surprised, my client, he was like, wow, I expected him to listen politely and maybe kind of somewhat half-heartedly acknowledge, but he really embraced the feedback and is trying to apply it, which is wonderful. Yeah, that's
0: interesting. You know, people are brought in to uh, provide recommendations and then the clients just don't take them. They don't take them on board and so forth. But it sounds like with your, you know, with your practice, you're able to, like you just gave the example of, um, you're really able to help. People actually implement the things that you are recommending, or, or, and I'm curious, like, do you what's the secret sauce? Like, are there any sort of things that you might be able to point to, and is it is it about you know is it about relationship building over time? Is it winning trust, or you know, do you do you go for the are there lower hanging fruit things that you sort of identify, and so that that builds that trust, or is it, or are there other things? I'm just curious, like, what.
1: Sure. No, I thank you for asking me that. I would say what, what I often ask my clients and what what the way I would answer you to this question is, what's your superpower? So if you were to ask me what's my superpower, my answer would be building trust. And the, so the way that I go about that when I first work with a new client is I listen. I, and I know that sounds very simplistic. Like, of course, coaches and consultants listen and we have to be good listeners. Yes, but being a deep listener and attentive one and being able to really connect with your client after listening is what establishes the trust so being able to acknowledge exactly what their pain point is so i will listen and and say things like you know like that client who wanted to talk to his boss i mean he brought that issue up several times and this was like the third time and i i said to him let's just call him bob i said bob <laughs> they said, you've mentioned this three other times or two other times. It sounds like it's really bugging you. How would you like to permanently shift this forever? And he was like, of course I want to permanently shift. it. And I said, okay, are you willing to be 10% uncomfortable in the conversation and work with me on a way to approach this so that you can really help him see it, hear it and shift it together? And he said, sure. Yes, I'd be willing to do that. So it's but over time, because we've unpacked so many other issues, he has that trust because he knows that whatever I'm going to guide him through is probably going to be beneficial. So the other ways I go at building trust is to I reflect back to people what I hear them saying, what, what I hear that they're not saying, but I sense with my intuition that is really going on, like their deepest concerns, their deepest anxieties. Sometimes people present issues that are all work-related, but you can tell that they're burned out at home. And they're not saying that, but I will ask it as a question, like, I'm wondering how this is impacting you at home. And is that part of what you'd like to work on and improve? Because we can pull them together, you know, and work on both at the same time. So it's identifying things people don't always expect, or they didn't realize they, they want it, is part of the trust building as well, and, and offering it up. And I, I think the way that I go about it, which is sort of my slogan as a coach is love the push. You know, I will wait for that right moment to push people out of their comfort zone, but I do it in a way that's very supportive. And I say with love, you know, like, I promise you if you try this technique, you know, and I'm going to help you with it, you know, we're going to work on it together. You know, I'm your partner here, you know, so that they they view me as much more than a coach. I'm really sort of like their their partner in many ways yeah interesting
0: well it's interesting you you say that you know listening is such an important skill i I really agree with that oftentimes you know if i'm i I love going over previous conversations if I've recorded them on Zoom or whatever, and just picking up on on small things that I just didn't notice during our conversation, maybe it's something about the language they're using or an objection or or some concern that they have. And I find that just by picking up on that and just these very, very small things and incorporating, like being more aware of that, incorporating that into our future conversations makes things so much more productive.
1: Absolutely, which is why when I meet with someone for the first time, I take copious notes and I tell them, even if it's on Zoom, I'm like, please forgive me, I will be writing while I'm listening. And then what I, one of the best practices I would recommend other coaches or consultants do is within 24 hours, cause that's helps establish trust. I send them a summary or a recap note and it's bulleted. So it's not, you know, a big, long narrative. It's very short and sweet via email. And it's just, here's what I heard you say. You're struggling with this or at this point in your career, these are some of the questions you have. These are some of the concerns or hesitations you may even have about like everything they mentioned. If they said they had a cat named Fluffy, if they have a spouse, if they have two kids versus three kids, I really try to capture all of the key points that they shared. That demonstrates that I get who they are and what they what they're up for, and you know what they need most right now from a coach. So that that is also an important trust building activity, I think. Because if you just send them a one liner, if you just send them a proposal or a contract, it feels transactional. I think you have to demonstrate that you heard them.
0: Yeah. That's interesting, because what you describe sounds very similar to some of the process that I follow. So usually, like if I if I speak to a prospective client beginning, I'll go on a discovery call where I'll basically pepper them with questions and try and speak as little as possible. And then and sometimes I think for potential clients, that's a bit uh, unusual for them or not quite what they're expecting. They're expecting someone to basically Give them the pitch or, or the, and sometimes they they ask for that. And I kind of have to kind of say, look, we'll, we'll get on to that, but I just want to hear from you and understand where you are at and understand if this is it, you know, it makes sense to go forwards. And then from that conversation later on, I'll sort of say, okay, are we the right fit? Is it, is it, does it make sense for us to continue this conversation or not? But again, like you say, summarizing that, sending it to them, saying, is there anything I've left out or anything important that you think I should know that didn't come up in that conversation?
1: Exactly. Exactly, because occasionally there is. I mean we're no no one's infallible, but more often than not, I've had prospective clients say, "Wow, you really nailed it. And so it, they're clear that when they connect with me, even before we're contracted to work together, I'm listening, I'm all in. you know, there's nothing else I'm multitasking and doing. I'm not thinking about my pitch, I'm in the conversation, I'm listening to what their needs are. And that, that's extremely important. So I'm glad to hear you say that.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like it's a basic human desire to just feel understood more than anything else and, and to feel heard, even if nothing nothing is actually done about it. Like just the feeling of being understood and heard is, uh, is so important.
1: Absolutely. I've had people come and I've worked with them for one or two sessions. Like if they have a very short-term goal, like one person or a couple of people have come to me because they needed to negotiate their salary, you know, there was like a counter off, you know, an offer they got and they were like, should I stay? Should I go? And how do I negotiate so that I can stay? Or, you know, how do I negotiate the the offer to go? And literally in one session with this one person in particular, we were able to dissect it, come up with a plan, a strategy and approach. And because I heard her and I heard what her desired outcome was and the impact and what her style of communication, you know, I tried to factor all of that into one coaching session. It was an extended session, but we nailed it, you know, together. We, we, we co-created her approach and her dialogue. And so she didn't need me after that. And I was really happy for her. I was like, great. <laughs> you know, there's no need for everything to be a long-term engagement. And I'm much more happy to send her away with high impact in one session than to engage her for three months and have it be drawn out.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um,
1: what, one one book that
0: came to mind as you were describing, you know, critical, you know, crucial conversations like that is a book called Crucial Conversations. And and they, they talk about as well, how about how the, you know, when when you're in these high stakes situations, a lot of the time, kind of repeating what, what you said about trying to figure out what is the common goal, you know, when you, you whoever it is you're speaking to, um, what can you really get together on? I use the, I use this with my wife, you know, if we have a disagreement or something like that. You know, I try try and think to myself, Okay, bigger picture, like how does this fit into what ultimately we both want and how can we just get together and and agree uh, on a common goal together Um, instead of, you know, kind of dwelling on things that, you know, small things that aren't as important as that?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, I was just um, one of the techniques that I often recommend when people are coming at it from different positions is take the perspective that the other person is at least 10% right about their position and see if you can acknowledge that. Like, say something like, well, what I like about that idea is, or what I can agree with or, you know, agree to do is this. And I'd also like to achieve this, which is your, your you know, your agenda piece or your, your perspective. And, and so how could we do both, you know, or How do we create a win-win outcome? And that—that's one of the strategies I use with clients. Is well, what would be the win-win? How can you win and she wins, or he wins and you win?
0: Yeah, I I love that um, way of approaching things because it's so easy to kind of go, oh well, let's—I'll just assume they're right. But you know, you know, deep down, you're like, no, they're wrong. They're wrong. (laughs) <laughs> but you're not
1: wrong for feeling like you're right. It's just that it doesn't serve your relationship to take a hardcore position that I'm right and you're wrong. So it's much better to acknowledge that you could be wrong, at least partially. And they do have a point that's valid, that's partially you know, right. I mean, I try to just eliminate right and wrong from my languaging altogether because it just puts people in positions. But thinking it through yourself, because we also have to coach ourselves. That's another skill that's a very advanced skill that people, you know, ideally should work on if they want to reach their self-actualization levels in life. It's how do you coach yourself in the moment? You know, I'll catch myself. I'm like, oh, Patty, you're making that person wrong. Peel it back, <laughs> you know, in, in my head, of course. And it's it's important to have that level of higher awareness.
0: Yeah, I love it. Okay, Patty. Well, well, this has been really, really insightful. Very interesting. Very Yes. I don't think we've had a, a conversation like this where we focused so much on the sort of softer skill side of things uh, before. Um, but as we, you know, I'm conscientious of time. Um, so as as we wrap up here, do you want to uh, share where people can find out more about you? Uh, anything that you'd like to uh, leave our audience with?
1: Sure, sure. Well, I I primarily support leaders at the director level and above. And so I'm very active on LinkedIn. That's where I do get a lot of referrals and um, people can follow me there. I do have an Instagram page, Patty Franco Coaching, and a Facebook page, Patty Franco Coaching. My website is just pattyfranco.com. And you can go there and request uh, a discovery call with me and read more about my, me- my model, my philosophies. I talk about my personal story and journey into coaching from a very personal perspective on the about me page. So I would love to connect with anyone who is stuck either, you know, looking to build their confidence, looking to really up their emotional intelligence skills. And they're, you know, shifting from negative mindset to positive and or career changers or people navigating big career moves
0: excellent uh well patty thank you for that and it was a pleasure having you on the show
1: thank you jonathan i appreciate the opportunity i hope to see you again in the future absolutely take care cheers
0: thank you for listening and if you enjoyed the show we'd love it if you could give us a five-star rating you can do that on spotify at the top of the show listing or on Apple Podcasts if you scroll down to the reviews and ratings section. It literally takes one minute and helps others determine the quality of the show.